0: You're listening to audio from Grace Family Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at gracepsl.org. All
1: right, I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke's Gospel, where we have been the last uh, two weeks. This is our third week in this series. We are looking at the parable of what we call the parable of the sons, or the parable of the two sons, It's known widely as the parable of the prodigal sons, traditionally anyway. But as we have seen, there there is not one lost son. There's not one prodigal in this parable. There are two. Both the younger son is lost and the older son is lost. Both of them are prodigals. Now, in the first week of the series, we considered the younger son by looking at the first half of the parable. In the second week, we looked at the older son in the second half of the parable, This week, what I'd like to do is to take a closer look, once again, at the elder son, at the characteristics of the elder son. In other words, what made him the way that he was. And the reason is, is there is, whether we recognize it or not, or know it not, there's a little elder brother in every one of us. Don't shout me down now, because I'm (laughs) preaching real good there. You don't think so. Here's why. I'll tell you why. We all have a little elder. We may be more like one or the other, but all of us have a little bit of elder brother in us. And the reason is, is the, the basic operating principle of religion is this. I obey and therefore I'm accepted by God. The basic operating principle of the gospel is I'm accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. Likewise, the basic operating principle of religion is I am faithful and therefore I deserve God's blessing. But the basic operating principle of the gospel is God is faithful and has freely blessed us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, everyone recognizes that. They see that. They go, yes, that's right. I never quite thought of it that way, but that's right. I agree with that, but agreeing with that and knowing that biblical truth, noting the differences between religion and the gospel is one thing, living it out in our lives, in our daily lives and in our thinking is a different thing because by default, the mode of the human heart is religion. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I am faithful, therefore I deserve God's blessing. That is the default of uh, the human heart by nature. We believe the Gospel on one level, yes, but at a deeper level, sometimes we're actually leaning on our own self-effort, our own goodness, our own morals, our own faithfulness. The natural inclination of your heart will always trend away from the Gospel of God's grace and trend towards living in your own self-effort unless... You continually renew your heart and mind to the gospel. That's why we always say around here, preach the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. The gospel is not just the way to be saved. It's the way to walk as a Christian. It's the way we're to live our lives as a Christian. It's the centerpiece of biblical revelation. Now, the parable of the lost son teaches us that all of humanity is divided into basically two types of people, older brothers and younger brothers. The religious and the irreligious. The moral and the immoral. But it is also true, again, within the heart of every person there is a bit of both younger brother and elder brother. In every person there is the nature of sin and sin expresses itself in two ways. Sin expresses itself in unrighteousness but also self righteousness. The unrighteousness, of course, is represented by the younger son. It's easy to detect. It's not hard to see. This guy's a sinner. But self-righteousness represented by the older son is much more difficult to detect. And here's why. When you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit indwells you, He gives you the desire to be more like Christ. And so begins the work of sanctification. Becoming more like Christ in your character. It's a lifelong process, one that one day the Lord Himself will complete when He presents you to Himself without spot or wrinkle. But between now and then, life is this, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, Ephesians 4. But along the way, after we start going to church, reading our Bibles, developing a prayer life, and, then, and getting a few moral wins under our belt, Pride has a way of entering our life through our spiritual victories. And those victories actually become a false source of righteousness. Basically summarized like this. I'm doing pretty good. If unchecked, eventually our spiritual growth, our faithfulness, our obedience, our zeal for God will become a source of deservedness before God. Our point of contact with God then is no longer our undeservedness and His grace, but rather our deservedness and how well we are doing, how successful we are in the Christian life. And this is the story of the elder brother, exactly. And what we want to do this morning is we kind of want to peer into the heart, if it's possible, to peer into the heart of this elder brother in order to identify elder brother tendencies in us. And then to wash those with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ so we can more fully experience the love of God in Christ Jesus and then communicate that love to people in our lives. So the text begins in verse 25. It's the second half of the parable. We've read it three times. Let's do it again here to kind of reacquaint ourselves with it. Verse 25. Meanwhile, now remember there's a party going on. The younger sons come home. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And he is found. So... Here's the first sign of um, elder brother attitudes or thinking. More anger, less joy in the Lord. Less joy in the Father. When the elder brother first learned of the younger brother's return and reinstatement in the family, he became very, very angry. and He refused to go into the house and join in the celebration. And then when his father went out to him and pleaded with him, he became even more angry because underneath all of the outward compliance... Underneath all of the obedience and the rule keeping, there was this latent, suppressed anger. And all of a sudden, under these circumstances, it just exploded. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Now notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, all these years I have loved you. All these years I was so honored to be your son. All these years I've looked up to you and delighted to do your will. No, he says, all these years I have been slaving for you. And slaving means doing something, of course, that you really don't want to do. In the mind of the elder brother, his relationship with his father was not a son who delights in his father, but rather as a worker who's disappointed with his boss. And why was he disappointed? Because when the father called for the fatted calf and the reinstatement of the wayward younger son, he was saying something. In essence, he was saying, My relationship with my sons is not based on their merit, but rather on my mercy. My relationship with my sons is not based upon their deservedness, but on my grace. And that essentially invalidated everything the elder son thought he had achieved by following the rules, by being faithful and obedient. And it is that that caused the anger to surface. But it also revealed this anger that the elder son was relating to the father out of duty rather than delight. All he had was the have-tos. He had no want-tos in his life. That's misery That's misery as a Christian. Living just with the have-tos. Now, being faithful to God, no doubt, sometimes calls for doing things that we at the moment don't feel like doing, but they're right, and so we do them. It is our duty. But if there is no delight in obeying the Father, if there's only duty then we have distanced ourselves from the Father's heart without ever realizing it. We don't realize it. Why? Because we're still obeying. Because we're still on the farm. We haven't left like the younger son. See, elder brothers live out their faith as if the most important thing is living up to certain standards rather than daily relying on God's grace. And if they live up to those standards, God is obliged to bless them with a good life and a fairly trouble-free life. Yes, of course they believe salvation is by grace when it comes to the moment of their salvation, but deep down, they expect living a good life to pay dividends even though they would never admit it. They think if I obey, things will go well. If I obey, I'll be blessed. And so when elder brothers encounter a significant trial in their life, or when they have a season where prayer goes unanswered for a long time, it produces confusion in them. Why? Because if I, this should. And when it doesn't, they become confused. And eventually, slowly, anger begins to build up within their lives. And that anger is going to be directed one of two ways, at themselves or at God. It'll be directed at themselves. What did I do wrong? What am I doing wrong? Where did I sin? Why did I fail? I wonder if God really loves me. And if it's not directed to themselves, the anger will be directed at God. Why are You allowing this to happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? What good does it do to serve You? And then they'll flip-flop back and forth between that. But the whole idea is, I deserve better. And that attitude is not only manifested in the elder brother's suffering, but also, it's brought on by the younger brother's blessing. They look at that and they see that happening. Where's my fatted calf? Why him and not me? Where's the reward of my faithfulness and why? Well, because again, the basis of their relationship with the father is their own deservedness rather than their undeservedness and the Father's amazing grace. And all of this produces a subtle anger that slowly eats away at the joy of just being a child of God. It eats away at the joy of being a beneficiary of His amazing grace. And this anger, it's not always expressed in kind of an overt, shaking your fist at God kind of anger. More often, it's expressed in a subtle withdrawal of the heart from God. Elder brothers, they stay on the farm. And they resist the tendencies of younger brothers. They usually remain diligent in their devotions and prayer. But their devotions are mechanical and their prayer becomes dry and empty. There's no awe. There's no wonder. There's no intimacy. There's just a list to get through. And over time, the dryness and the emptiness, eventually, sometimes it takes a long time, but eventually it opens up the door to Satan's deception. And they begin secretly looking to other things for happiness and relief. Ultimately, the elder brother's hidden disappointment in God can give way to kind of a passive aggressive entitlement to sin. You have not, so I have this right. That's why sometimes these big mega super leaders fall into sin, and we learn all along they had this double life going on. That's elder brotherish. Ironically, the elder brother becomes the younger brother except with one exception. The shame and the guilt for the elder brother is much worse. You know, the most miserable person on the earth is an elder brother who has come to the end of his self-effort. Paul said it like this, O wretched man that I am. Romans 8. And it's right there. It's right at that moment, in that place of humility, that the road to healing and freedom begins for the elder brother. There is hope for the elder brother in us. The second sign of the elder brother in us is more insecurity and less confidence in God's love. Again, elder brothers live their faith by living up to certain standards instead of relying daily on God's grace. And if they live up to those standards, God is what? Obliged to bless them with a good life, a fairly trouble-free life. So when elder brothers encounter a significant trial in their life or a prayer continues to go unanswered, it produces confusion, eventually anger. But it also produces insecurity when he says, all those years I have been slaving for you, it's not only an indication of his anger, but his fear. Because where there is anger, underneath you will usually always find fear. And it's a fear the elder brother doesn't even recognize that he has, but it's controlling his life. Outwardly, he appears very confident. But inwardly, he is insecure because he never knows for sure, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Have I really lived up to the standards? So when he encounters a significant or prolonged trial, the elder brother will say this. He'll go, I should have prayed more. I should have read my Bible more. I should have served more. I should have done something. See, when we're no longer sure that God loves us and accepts us through Christ alone, we will inevitably be insecure. And that insecurity will eventually be revealed in, in pride. A pride that is, that is seen usually in touchiness, self-defensiveness, irritability, the inability to receive constructive criticism and being unfairly critical of others. Why? Why is that? Because slaves serve the Father out of fear. And therefore, they're insecure about their standing in the family. Sons serve the Father because they know they're loved by the Father. And therefore, they are secure in their standing. They know nothing can separate them from the love of God. They know the Father is saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. They live with that confidence and assurance because their relationship with the Father is based upon His grace. What He has done through His Son and not what they're doing. Not because they stay on the farm. Not because they didn't run off like the younger brother. This is exactly what Paul says in in Romans 8. Verse 15 says that the Spirit you received, that's when you believed in Christ, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. What is he talking about there? Have I done enough to earn my place in the family? Am I truly secure? Will God never leave me or forsake me? Do I measure up? That's slavery. Rather, the Spirit you received when you were saved brought about your adoption to Sonship. And by Him we cry, Have I done enough? No. We cry what? Abba, Father. Why? That's confidence. Because Christ has done it all through the cross our adoption into full sonship has been finalized it's finalized there's nothing that can reverse it we're no longer a slave to fear have I done enough we are fully sons because Christ did enough he did it all he earned it for us and therefore we don't have to say have I done enough we cry Abba Father we cry Abba Father because of what Christ has done the third sign of elder brother in us is more complaining and less gratefulness. I know I could skip this because you guys, you don't complain. You're grateful to God. I saw you worshiping this morning. Notice again what the elder brother says here. He goes, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You never. Who uses that language? If you're married, come on. No, seriously, who uses that language unless they're keeping score? Right? He was keeping score, wasn't he? In his mind, people should get from God what they deserve. And in the light of his younger brother getting the fatted calf, he definitely deserved more. The words of the elder brother reveal that he was keeping score. And keeping score leads to comparing, and comparing leads to complaining, always. Look, all these years I've slaved for you. I've done what's required. I've obeyed your commands. And in my book, that counts, counts, counting. That counts for something, especially when compared to (laughs) that son of yours, not my brother. What good does it do to stay on the farm if my work, my faithfulness, my commitment don't get some kind of reward? I never even got a goat to have a party with my friends, let alone a fatted calf to celebrate with the whole village. I deserve more. Now, the irony, the irony of the father's reply is just stunning. It's almost like he says back to him, why are you only asking me for a goat? Don't you know everything I have is already yours? Mm. Now, this idea of deservedness because of faithfulness, deservedness because of obedience, is the opposite of grace. Grace implies that we are undeserving. Otherwise, why grace needed in the first place? And undeservedness is the starting point for gratefulness and gratitude and joy. But not only are we undeserving, we're also ill-deserving. Not only do we not deserve the Father's blessing, we actually deserve God's judgment. We deserve, as we saw in week one, the kusetsa ceremony. Yeah. And that's where the gospel starts. That's the place. None of the gospel really makes sense in a way that will empower you, unless you know where it begins and why you need it. Contrary to elder brother thinking, we are totally undeserving no matter how hard we work for the Father. No matter how much we do on the farm. Romans 3 says all have sinned and fallen short of the goodness that can merit heaven. Younger brother sin and elder brother sin alike alienates me from God. Scripture says that sin enslaves us to Satan. It conforms us to the world. It makes us a prisoner of our own lust. Sin blinds us to the fact that we are rebels deserving of God's wrath, and that we are without hope in this world unless, of course, God intervenes, unless the Father comes out of the house. And He did through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He made us alive. He, remember, my father, the Son was dead, now He is uh, alive. This is what God does by His Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, He makes us alive. To believe the Gospel and be saved gives us a new identity, redeems us from sin's authority and power, grants us His very own righteousness, the robe across our shoulders. He adopts us into His family. He makes us co-heirs with His Son, Jesus Christ. And that means this. What does it mean to be a co-heir? It means this. It means everything that Jesus earned and deserved by virtue of His perfectly lived life is ours. Free. We are co airs with Christ, the Bible says. We deserve none of it. We deserved only judgment. But God gave us everything, just like the Father. Can you hear Him say it to you? Everything I have is yours. What grace. What grace. And that's where gratefulness starts. That's where gratitude finds its origin. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. I was seeing. I had nothing to do with it, except to say what? Yes, Lord. That's it. Or more formally, I believe. That's all we did. We didn't do anything else. And even that was given to us by God. He gave us the grace to go, I believe. He's the one that opened up our heart. I love that verse where Paul, I think it's going to Ephesus, and he says he was, uh, uh, that he was going down to the stream where some women had gathered together and were praying. And they were, uh, they were Jews and then Jewish proselytes. And he began speaking to them. The Bible says that one of them was Lydia. And it says this. It says, the Lord opened up her heart to hear what Paul was speaking in the Gospel. Who opens it up? The Lord. So, can we take any credit? If you opened it up, you could. Well, I opened up my heart. He did the rest, but I opened up my heart. Do you see how it's all grace? From A to Z. Then what does that do then? It produces what? Gratefulness. Gratitude. A life of praise. A desire to obey the Father. To have the want-tos. That's the fuel for the want-tos. That's how you get delivered from the have-tos. I was lost and now I'm found. You know, and if you really if you drill down on that, you really think about it, you really meditate on it. You know what it does? It, it melts you. It just melts your heart, and you, and you feel gratefulness welling from within you. And then the, it's almost a whisper to the Father, just a simple thank you. I could never thank you enough, but thank you. Live your life like that. Live your life like that. Live your life in the sight of God's grace. And what happens then when you're there at that moment? What happens? i tell you one thing that happens. You're not going to hear any complaining coming out of your mouth. Zero. Because that's what gratitude does. That's what gratitude based on God's grace does. It just gets rid of all the complaining in our lives. The fourth sign, last sign of the elder brother in us is more self-righteousness and less compassion for others. So it's very difficult for elder brothers to realize how deep their need for God's mercy is. They recognize that, yeah, of course I need mercy, but they don't see the depth of it. They imagine that there's not uh, much that they need to be forgiven. Oh yes, some minor indiscretions, you know, but nothing too serious or awful. That's all way in the past, that's all done. See, since the elder brother's relationship with God is based more on external compliance, they're very much blinded to the depth Of their own inward sin, they can't see the worst sins are the ones in the heart. And since sin is only something outward in them, and they've managed, of course, elder brothers have to develop some outward self-control in their life. They they what they feel superior to younger brothers whose outward sin is so apparent, right? And that's why the elder brother is so critical of the younger brother in the story. When speaking to his father, he wouldn't even call his brother out. He wouldn't even call him his brother. He said, that son of yours. His sense of superiority is also why he draws attention to the younger brother's sin of squandering all of his money on prostitutes. Now, do you think he squandered everything on prostitutes? Of course not. He squandered it on a lot of stuff. But well, what does the older brother draw attention to before the father, right? The worst of the sins. But when this son of yours comes home who has squandered your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And again, the reason he does that is he feels superior. He feels superior to his younger brother and therefore he can have very little compassion on him. You know, he, you know, he, thinks, he thinks this. You know what? People get what they deserve, don't they? That's right. He, he thinks that to himself. He says, you know, everyone has a chance to make good decisions or suffer the consequences. And, well, if you don't make good decisions, hey, you made your bed of nails, now you're going to lie on it. He probably said, you know, if he'd have just obeyed the Father, our Father, and stayed on the farm, none of this would have happened. Well, it's true. That, that last part's True. The younger brother was responsible for his sin and consequences, for as a man sows, the same shall he reap. But that reaping of sin of the younger brother should have caused grief in the heart of the older brother instead of disdain and superiority. The elder brother has very little compassion for the failure of others. Instead of getting mad at the world for deceiving. Instead of getting mad at their flesh. Instead of getting upset with Satan and taking authority over him. He gets mad at the younger brother. He gets mad at the person who's caught in the trap. Elder brothers do not see the pervasiveness of sin in the human race. They they don't see that everyone has fallen short of God's glory. And that all have sinned. And that all believers must continually put to death the deeds of the flesh. Romans 8.11 It's a battle. It's a war. We're all vulnerable. No one is superior. We all must fight the good fight of faith. Every one of us. Nor do older brothers see themselves as a part of a community of sinners that God is redeeming. And that fuels their their self-righteousness and severely limits the amount of compassion flowing from their lives. So when it comes to younger brother sinfulness, Elder brothers tend to be more mindful of their own disgust with younger brother's sin and behavior and less mindful of the father's grief over the younger brother's lostness. Let me say that again. When it comes to younger brother's sinfulness, elder brothers tend to be more mindful of their own disgust with younger brother behavior than they are mindful of the father's grief over younger brother's lostness and therefore they find it very difficult to truly forgive. Because, you know, it's nearly impossible to forgive somebody that you feel superior to. If the elder brother could have just seen his own heart, he would have said, I am just as much a sinner as my younger brother, and therefore I have no right to feel superior. And if he would have realized that, then he would have been so free to forgive his younger brother and remain in fellowship with his father. He wouldn't have broken fellowship with his father. Alright, you had enough? I have. <laughs> What's the answer for this elder brother thinking? Give me an answer here. There's two answers, okay? It's the answer you get all the time. The Gospel and experiencing the Gospel. Let's look at both of those. First, The, go- the answer is basically believing the Gospel deeper. Lasting transformation can only take place in our lives when we are taking in the Gospel more deeply into our minds, into our hearts, so that it becomes a part of our identity the way that we think. And this parable helps us to take the Gospel more into our heart in four ways. There are four phrases here. The first one is, the Father went out to the elder brother. I love that. There's a picture of Jesus, right? He didn't wait for us to come to Him, did He? He left heaven through the incarnation and death and resurrection, He came to seek and to save lost younger and elder brothers alike. The second way we see it is the father pleaded with the elder brother. He pleaded. He went out and pleaded. you got to think about that. Urged. Pleaded. It's a picture of God's heart towards Us in the Gospel, extended to us. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 says that God has reconciled us through Christ and has now, once we have been reconciled, committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, now He wants to work through us. And it says this in the next verse. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. The Father pleads through us. When we share the gospel with somebody else, you know what that still means? The father's still pleading, but now he's doing it through us. He's pleading. That's his heart. He's not just offering it, hey, take it if you want it or not. I made it available to you. No, pleading like the father with the elder son. Third way we see the gospel here is the father calls the elder brother my son. Because after the elder son kind of self-identified as a slave, you know, I've been slaving for you all these Oh, you're a slave, are you? Okay. The father doesn't ask, answer back, okay, slave. No, he doesn't do that, does he? He goes, what does he say? He doesn't agree with that. Aren't you glad God doesn't agree with you a lot of times? Yes. Whew, am I glad. He goes, what? Not my slave. He goes, my son. Because sonship is a gift of God's grace. It's not earned. It's not merited. It's not deserved. It's freely given to us through Jesus Christ. Before we could ever make ourselves a hired servant and earn our sonship like the younger son wanted to do. And before we were working hard as slaves trying to deserve our sonship like the elder son did, God intervened and graciously adopted us of His own will. That's what Galatians tells us. Verse 4 of chapter 4, but when the set time had fully come. What's that? That's when Jesus came into the world. The set time. It's the set time in all of human history. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive what? Adoption to what? Sonship. Because you are His sons in Christ, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. That Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. He put the Abba, Father in us. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're His child, God has also made you an heir with Christ. You're not just adopted. You've been given full heirship. You've been made Sons with full rights as sons through faith in Jesus Christ. And that heirship means fourthly, here's the Gospel one more time, everything I have is yours. If everything the Father has is ours already by sheer grace, then why would we ever, ever, ever try to earn anything from Him? There's nothing left to deserve it that has not already been given to us freely through Jesus Christ. The work has been done. The price has been paid. All that's left for us to do is rejoice and live a life of praise to God. Jesus said it like this over in Luke 12. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. See, He delights in giving you. All I have, the Father says, is yours. So we need to believe that more deeply. We need to get that into our hearts. And that's not something that's a quick process in our lives. But it is a process that we need to continually stay on top of. And again, that's why we always say, rehearse the Gospel to yourself. Go over and over it. Think about the implications of the Gospel. If We have just seen four of them in a parable. You can find those anywhere in the New Testament in many places in the Old Testament. Over and over, God is proclaiming His Gospel to us. We need to believe it. But not only believe it, We need to experience the power of it. See, in this parable, think about it. Jesus is pleading with elder brother Pharisees. Remember, the audience was the sinners and tax collectors, uh, the immoral, and then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the moral. You have the irreligious and the religious. You have those who don't do good and those who do a lot of good. You have the unfaithful and the very faithful. Both were in his audience, but who was his primary audience? It was the Pharisees. He was trying to get into the sea. The elder brother was them. And that they were lost even though they are still on the farm. And he does that through the parable that involves a banquet. A celebration. A place where you experience a lot. It's a very tangible metaphor. This banquet that he throws with the fatted calf for the returning younger son. Banquets, feasts, our place where we places where we experience something—food, laughter, joy, dancing, friendship—it's very sensory, right? It's a, it's a place where our the senses of sight and and sound and smell and taste are abounding, and that's why throughout the scriptures, the gospel and fellowship with God is often depicted as a meal. Why? It's sensory. There's something. Why? Because a meal is something you experience it's a meal it's a banquet it's a celebration it's a feast why because it's something you experience the passover in the old covenant first meal the lord's table in the new covenant we celebrated that this morning the wedding supper of the lamb at the end of the age we'll all sit down with jesus the wedding at cana at the beginning of jesus ministry and of course the the banquet here of the, the fatted calf from the parable of the two lost sons. So the call to a banquet is not only a call to salvation, it's a call to experience the joy of our salvation. To experience the joy of knowing Jesus. To experience the joy of the Father in finding us and bringing us into His house. Jesus not only came into the world so that we would be acquitted of our guilty sentence in the courtroom of God's justice. He also came into the world so we could experience the joy of fellowshipping with Jesus, celebrating at the Father's table. It's not just a courtroom. It's a table. We've been acquitted so that we can rejoice at the table with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's why the psalmist says what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, elder brothers, it's not enough to know and believe. We've got to taste the Gospel. We've got to see. It's one, it's like, it's one thing to know that honey is sweet. It's quite another thing to taste the sweetness of honey. It's one thing to know the Gospel. It's another thing to taste the sweetness of it. It's one thing to know God's mercy, to know about it, but it's another thing to taste it yourself. It's one thing to hear the singing and the dancing outside the celebration. It's another thing to enter the house and experience the love of the Father yourself. And we enter that house through Jesus who said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. What's He mean? There's lots of room for everybody that's why he said in another place all that come to me I'm not going to turn anybody away there's lots of room so I'm going to prepare the place for you and then I'm going to come back and I'm gonna take you to that place the father's house it's a beautiful imagery of of heaven and life after this life this life will end we're all going to have a moment <laughs> where we die what's gonna happen then are you ready for that Jesus is ready for you he's gone to prepare a place for you there is room in the father's house but you can't stand outside like the elder brother did you got to enter in the house say how do you enter the house you go walk through the threshold and go I believe that Christ died for my sins and rose again. That's how you get in the Father's house. Jesus said it. No one goes to the Father except through me. you got to take that step of faith. I believe that. I believe the Gospel. The Holy Spirit confirms it in our heart. He calls us. He woos us. It's not a decision you make by yourself. He works in us. He calls us. He calls us to sonship freely. Through the grace of Jesus Christ. He's done the work. All that's left for us to do is I believe. Do you believe? Maybe here this morning you've never done that. You've seen Christianity as a something as, well, that's my belief system. That's the way I was raised, or I'm a you know, I'm basically considering myself a Christian. But you've never really believed the core central message of Christianity, and that's the gospel. And yet that's the only way to enter into the Father's house. is through faith in Jesus Christ what He's done. His mercy is amazing. His arms are open wide. There's nothing that you could do or have done that would disqualify you. All that's required is to come before Him. A moment of faith, a simple repentance. I believe in You. I'm, I'm not going to trust myself anymore. I'm not going to lean on my own life and my own abilities. I'm not going to trust in my own good, good works. All the good things that I do for people, those are out the window. I realize now that those don't mean anything when it comes to going to heaven. Because if I could get to heaven by doing those things, why did He have to do that? He had to do that because none of those things are good enough. Thank God you do them. You're helping other people, but you can't use that as payment to get into heaven. to bow our heads this morning. Let's do it. You are here this morning and you've never prayed. You've never believed. I believe. There's never been that moment where I believe. And you've come to a crossroads. The parable has brought you to the crossroads. God's Word has brought you there. Now, what are you going to do Are you going to believe? Will you humble yourself and enter the Father's house through faith in Christ? Are you going to stay on the outside where the parable ends? Unresolved. I encourage you. I urge you. I plead with you. Be reconciled to the Father through Christ. Be reconciled by faith in Christ today. Let's pray. I'd like to lead you together in this. Let's say it out loud. I believe believe in Jesus Christ Christ. that He died on the cross for my sins and that He rose again from the dead so I would be saved. I believe believe that. He died for me. I I am a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you prayed that this morning, tell somebody. Tell somebody, hey, I prayed that prayer today. What will they think? They'll think it's great. It's awesome. Congratulations. I did that too 20 years ago, five years ago, three years ago. They'll think it's great, but you tell somebody. Tell the person you came with. Tell them, I prayed that today. And on behalf of everyone else here, welcome to the family of God. Welcome. Let's all stand. If you need prayer for anything in your life this morning, we are going to be down here for a few minutes after the service. Just make your way down and one of our prayer team will be with you. They're coming up right now just to agree with you. If you want to spend some time at the altar by yourself, you're always welcome to do that every Sunday. You might be ready for some fellowship. We'll see you out in the atrium. Enjoy a cup of coffee. Again, if you're visiting today, we look forward to seeing you. Look for the new here sign. Have a safe ride home. God bless.